Pleasant good morning to each one of you. My Bible is open to Psalm 127, the psalm that Brother Don uh, read for us just a few moments ago. And so if you have your Bible with you, I'd invite you to open to that same text as well, as that's where we will be taking our study from together this morning. It's good to see all of you here. We have some who are visiting with us, and we are thankful for your presence, and we hope that uh, you have been welcomed already this morning that, and that you will feel like an honored guest as you are here among us. If you are visiting and you are not a Christian, uh, we are especially glad that you have chosen to come and to worship God with us this morning. If you have any questions about anything that we have been doing as we have worshiped our God and singing and praying together and in remembering uh, God's great love for us as shown in the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, and as we study His Word together this morning, please... Uh, Bring those questions to our attention, and we would be happy to sit down together with you with God's Word and see what God might have to say that could be of help and benefit to you as you seek Him and as you walk with Him. Family. When you hear that particular word, what, what kind of thoughts, what kind of images, what kind of even emotions come to your mind when you hear the word family. For many of us, I would assume that that word family fills our minds with a lot of happy thoughts, maybe a lot of good memories that we have experienced in our life. It probably fills our minds with a lot of pleasant images, maybe of us and our parents. If we are older now, and especially if our parents have passed on, to have those thoughts and those images of us as little children with our parents or with our brothers and sisters. For many of us, I think the word family fills our minds with a lot of positive emotions. Just hearing that word uh, floods our minds with a lot of positive emotions. But for others of us, even some who may be in this audience this morning, hearing the word family may conjure up quite the opposite. It may bring to our minds some sad thoughts. It may bring some unpleasant pictures. It may even bring some very negative emotions to our mind because for us, family has not been a good thing in our life. Well, I hope that most of us gathered here this morning think of the former, that we are filled with pleasant and good thoughts and happy thoughts when we consider family. Sadly, there are some and maybe even many in our country that have this latter view that they do not view family in the way that God intended for us to view it. They do not view family as being something that is a good thing, that is a positive in our life, that is a blessing for us. But since God, of course, is the one who created and designed the relationship of family, it is not surprising that when we look into the Word of God that we find that God's view of family is very much a positive view. It is very much a pleasant view. It is very much a happy view view. And so today what I want us to do is to consider just one of those positive pictures of family that we find in Scripture that God has given to us. And one of those is in the psalm that we have already read this morning, Psalm 127, to look at this particular psalm for a little while this morning, to read it, to reflect on it, and to think about it from this perspective as being a psalm of family. What I want us to do in looking at Psalm 127 this morning is really just to take it as it comes, to look at these two stanzas here, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 5, 
and to just pull two main thoughts out of each one of these stanzas and to kind of flesh those out a little bit and to consider them together with you this morning. The first thought is, as we think about this psalm of family, to think about God and what is said to us here about God in verses 1 and 2. But as we think about God in relationship to our family, to think about Him and to ask the question, is He really the focal point of our family? Is He what our family is aiming for and striving for? Is He the goal of our family? Is He the center of our family life? Or is He just kind of over here on the side as we live together as a family. Notice again, verses one and two, the psalmist begins here by saying to us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Three times in this first stanza of this very short psalm, the psalmist uses the word vain, and he is connecting it, I believe, to three important, what we call life activities. Three important activities that all of us probably are engaged in and at some point to some degree in our life. But three life activities, I believe, in this psalm of family that he is really connecting to our families. It is the activity, first of all, of building our families, and then secondly, of protecting our families, and thirdly, of providing for our families. And again, while all of those activities in our lives could uh, be related to our life in general, whether we have a family or not, whether we are married or not, whether we have children or not, I believe they especially relate to family life. So let's think about those three important family activities. First of all, the activity of building our family. You know, when a man and a woman say I do to one another, when they both agree that they want to enter into the relationship of marriage that we spoke of several weeks ago, what, what happens is a family is formed, as we talked about in that lesson on marriage, going all the way back to God's original beginning language and design for marriage and for the family, that when a man leaves his father and mother, he is to cleave to his wife and the two are to become one flesh. We said in that lesson, that doesn't mean that, that either the husband or the wife doesn't care about his family anymore, doesn't have any obligations or responsibilities to his parents or her parents anymore, but it means that now there is a new relationship that is formed. Now there is a new family that has begun. And from that point on, we are building our family. We are striving together as husbands and wives to truly do what God has called us to do, to truly become one flesh, to be one person, to be of one mindset in every aspect of our relationship. It may be, as many of us is the case, that God blesses us as we continue to build our family physically, that we have children, and even you get to the point where you have grandchildren. We are building our family in the sense of we are allowing the Lord to build our house in the words of the psalmist here at verse 1, that we are making our house, we are making our family as strong and stable and secure as we can and on every different level, maybe financially, Maybe emotionally, maybe relationally, certainly spiritually, if we are children of God, that we're trying to build our family and make it strong so that we can withstand uh, the things that are out there in the world. Which moves us to the second activity of family life, and that is the activity of protecting. As the psalmist says to us here, not only unless the Lord builds the house, they're laboring in vain who build it, but unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. 
Now he's moving from that illustration or that picture of building to that of protecting. And we know that as we are trying to build our family, as we are trying to make our family strong and secure, as we as husbands and wives, as the parents of our children that come along in that family, as we're growing together in the Lord, as we're growing closer to Him and growing closer to one another, as we're truly becoming one flesh, that Satan doesn't like that. That as we're trying to build our family, Satan begins to attack our family. And he is trying to do the opposite of what we are doing. He is involved in the destruction business, if you will. He is trying to destroy our family. He's trying to tear down what we are trying to build. And so first as husbands and wives, but then also as fathers and mothers, it is our responsibility, it is our work that God has given to us that we have to watch out for our family. We have to protect our family. We have to be those who are on guard for dangers to our family and as much as possible doing what we can with the Lord's help, of course, guiding us in that, but to protect our family from dangers. And there are all kinds of dangers that family faces in the times in which we live. Just to give you a few here, you probably know these. There are temptations of all kinds, but especially sexual temptations. We're living in a day and age where there are sexual predators that are going after all of us, but especially our children. And they are trying to uh, be friends with our children, maybe online. They, they are trying to appear very innocent, maybe disguising themselves, as we read about in the New Testament, even Satan himself. And all of those who are his agents disguise themselves as angels of light, messengers of light. But that is a very real and present danger for those of us who are parents in this age to guard our children from those temptations, to protect them from those We're living in an age where divorce is just very common. It is very normal. It is running rampant among our families. Again, we ought to be, as God's people, building our house. But here is Satan coming along. And he's, he has, it seems from our perspective, been very uh, successful in tearing down many houses and destroying many families with divorce. There are all kinds of outside influences that we face as families today. It could be our job that is taking us away from our families, parents, from doing the job that we really need to be doing, the most important work that God has given us of building our families. It could be extended family maybe has gotten into our family relationship and is causing problems and is causing trouble among us. It could be the outside influence of media or friends or just all kinds of outside influences and I'm not saying all of that is bad, but we have to be on guard for our family. We have to be protecting our families. Which leads us to the third activity of family life that I believe the psalmist is mentioning to us here in verse 2. And that is the activity of providing for our family. He says, it is vain again for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. I realize he doesn't say here in this particular verse, unless the Lord. But I think that is implied, that is to be taken from what he has already told us here in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds your house, you're just laboring in vain. Unless the Lord is guarding your house, your family, you are laboring in vain. So he says here, I think in the same vein, unless the Lord is with you in your work, all of that is in vain. As our family grows, certainly our family's needs grow, which requires us many times to work 
a lot more, to work harder to provide for those needs. It's not just the physical needs that a family may have. Uh, I know that very well as my uh, three children are getting uh, older and, and growing physically that they require a lot more food to eat. <laughs> and all of you know, if you've been to the grocery, uh, how much uh, grocery prices have gone up. The price of everything seems to have gone up over the last number of months this particular year. But our needs change as our family changes, our needs change. But it's not just physical needs of our family, but as our children grow physically, their spiritual needs are going to change. What their spiritual needs were when they were two or five or seven or 10 years old are not the same as when they are 13 or 15 or 18 or 20. And their emotional needs may change. They, they may need... Uh, you to be there as a parent to help them grow emotionally and their relational needs may change. It may be that as they get into those teenage years that they may not really want to have much to do with you as a parent. They may not want anybody, any of their friends to know that you really are their parent, but they still need you there to care for them and to lead them. And so as we are engaged as families in these three activities of building and protecting and providing for our families, the psalmist here in Psalm 127 is encouraging us and instructing us that we must do so with total trust in God, that we must make God in essence very, as in essence, we must make him the master builder, the master protector, and the master provider for our families, because the psalmist is telling us here that if we work hard without God as the focal point of our family, if we know something about God, but he's kind of over here off to the side in our family relationship, that all of our efforts in these areas and in other areas in our family life will be in vain. They will ultimately be empty. They will be useless. They will be meaningless. So how does God do that? How is it the case that the Lord can build our house, that the Lord protects us, that the Lord provides for us? Well, I believe he does all of those things through us. That when we as a family, and especially those of us who are parents, as we are leading and guiding our families, and even more specifically than that, those of us who are husbands and fathers, as we have been given that charge, that to the extent that we are seeking God's will in his word, to the extent that we are praying for God's wisdom and God's strength, that we might be able to carry that out in our life, to the extent that we as a family are trying to live God's word in our life, to that extent, the Lord will build our house, the Lord will guard our city, the Lord will provide for every need that we have. A couple of other passages that I want you to think of along these lines. First of all, from the book of Proverbs in chapter 14 and verse 1. Just some simple concepts, but some things maybe that we often forget when it comes to our family life. Proverbs 14 and verse 1, the wise man says to us here, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hand. Yes, he's speaking about this woman but I believe it applies to all of us, whether we're male or female, that if we are parents, we must be involved in that building process that we just spoke about. That the Lord wants us to build our houses and we have to do that with wisdom that comes ultimately from God. If we don't build our families, if we don't build our house, if you will, if we don't guard our city, 
with the wisdom that comes from God himself, we're going to end up being foolish people. And he says to us here at the last part of this verse that the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. If we leave God out of the picture, if he is not the focal point in the center of our family relationship, then we're going to end up being foolish people and we're going to tear down our house. You might come back there probably in the same opening in your Bible uh, this time at Psalm 128, Psalm 127 and 128 are, are really companion psalms. They're both psalms, I believe, about family. But I want us to notice what is said to us here at a couple of verses of those psalms. He says to us at verse 1 of Psalm 128, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Verse 4, Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. We're going to come back in a few minutes and talk about some of the blessings that are mentioned here in Psalm 128, verses 2 through 3, and also verses 5 and 6. But in between that picture of blessings is this thought that the wise man or the psalmist is giving us here. How blessed is every man who fears the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. It is a wise husband and it is a wise wife. It is a wise father, it is a wise mother that has this healthy reverence and healthy respect for God and for God's word and for God's way. And he or she will look at God's divine blueprints. I realize that in this book that we call the Bible, God doesn't answer every question or address every situation that we face in our families. But he does give us a lot of principles that we can apply to our families and so we're going to be, if we're going to be wise parents, we ought to be of the mindset to look into the divine blueprints that God has given us. He has told us how we can build our house, how we can guard our city, how we can labor and it not be a labor that is unprofitable or useless. And we will build our family on God's wisdom rather than building our family on the world's wisdom. I think we see a great example of that in the life of Joshua. You probably remember these most famous of words from Joshua himself as he's coming toward the end of his life. And as he is issuing this challenge to God's people, the children of Israel, uh, they have come out of Egyptian captivity. They have come out of that, that uh, environment of uh, false gods and idolatry and, and uh, uh, polytheism and all of that kind of baggage that they have come with. They have traveled through the wilderness. Now under Joshua's leadership, they have actually been able to enter into the promised land that God had given them. But I want you to notice his challenge here at verse 14, beginning of Joshua 24. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If, it's, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which, were, which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua showed true leadership, I think, on this occasion in that he did not wait for the people's response. He was not like King Saul that kind of sat back and said, well, you know, it was the people that, that are really responsible for me disobeying God and being impatient with him. Though here is a true leader in Joshua who says, I, I'm issuing this challenge to each of you, every family of Israel, 
And you'll have to make your own decision about that. But before he found out what anybody else, what their decision was going to be, regardless of what other families among the nation of Israel were going to do or not do, let us be like Joshua in this regard. Let us make the choice that our family is going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Some of you other families of Israel, you may make the decision that you're going to serve the gods of your fathers. Or you may make the decision that you're going to serve the, the gods of the peoples in this land of Canaan. Now, Joshua was hoping that they didn't make that decision. And ultimately here, at least on this occasion, for the rest of his life and the elders of his generation, that they continue to faithfully serve the Lord. But he says, my decision is already made. We need to be like Joshua and choose that our family is going to serve the Lord. That regardless of what other families, even other families here in this congregation or other families that we know that are Christians, regardless of what they decide that we are going to serve the Lord, that we are going to honor His name and our family, that we are going to put away any gods that may threaten us, that may threaten the spiritual health of our family, whatever they are. It might be money. It might be sports. It might be the media. It might be technology. It might be our jobs. Things that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but things that can quickly become our family's God. There is a bit of wisdom, I think, that is especially Good for us to remember those of us who are parents, those of us who are working physical jobs to provide for our families. Certainly God has given us that responsibility. But I want you to notice something that the wise man says in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. He issues us a warning here. He says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. I like the, the word that the New King James uses here at verse 4. It says here, do not overwork to gain wealth. Yes, God wants us to work. Yes, God has instructed us to provide for our family's needs. But at the same time, he does not want us to overwork ourselves to the detriment of our family. And it can be very easy for us, husbands and wives that work outside the home, but especially for those of us who are husbands to just work ourselves literally to death, that we do not have any energy, we do not have any time. We, we don't show our family the care and concern and love that we should because we're over here, we think in our minds, doing our job. And sometimes we're overworking ourselves so that we can be more like the world, so that we can have all the toys and all the things that our neighbors have. No, God's way certainly is for us to work hard, but it's also to enjoy the fruit of our labors. It is to take time to rest and to relax and to enjoy life with our family. We're not going to take the time to read all of these passages here in Ecclesiastes, but you can Write those down and look at those a little bit later if you want to. I want us to just look there at chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. 
Because all three of these texts here in chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter 9 are really saying the same thing, that God has given us all of these physical earthly blessings and he wants us to enjoy them. But notice what he says here in Ecclesiastes 9, beginning at verse 7. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Why, why are we able to do that? For God has already approved your works. Here is someone that God is the center of their life. Here is someone who has made God the focal point of their family life. He goes on to say at verse 8, Let your clothes be white all the time. I believe that means that we are in good standing with God. And let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Yes, work hard. As he would go on to tell us here at verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. We're not to be lazy people. We can't just quit our day job and spend 24 hours, seven days a week with our family. But God is telling us here in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is his wisdom for life. That you work hard, but you also enjoy the blessing of family that God has given to you. So let me just ask you this question. You'll have to ask it of yourself and answer it for yourself. But is God really the focal point of your family or is he just kind of a side point? Because if he is not at the center of your family life, all of your efforts to build, all of your efforts to protect and provide for your family, the psalmist says to us, really are in vain. And secondly, and connected to that is what we find here at the end of Psalm 127. To think about children. Are they a blessing to our family or are they a burden? Read again with me verses 3 through 5. The psalmist goes on here to say that, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Here in this second stanza, of the psalmist is focusing on a, a very large part of family life, and that, of course, is children. He first of all says to us that children are a gift or a heritage, depending upon what translation you're reading from this morning. They are a gift. They are a heritage of the Lord. This is the idea that they are a portion or a share, as Brown Driver Briggs uh, defines that particular word, gift or heritage, but it is a portion or a share that God himself has given to us to bless us and to enrich our lives. As the fruit of the wise womb, as he talks here at verse, uh, the end of verse three about the fruit of the womb is a reward that children are God's reward to us. Sometimes maybe we don't look at children that way. And I understand there are days and there are times in our children's life, especially when they're young, when we are trying to bring them up and, and rear them in the ways of God. There are times that maybe we don't look at them that way, but the psalmist is calling us to look at them from God's perspective, that they are a reward. If we bring them up in God's word and in God's way, they become this beautiful, vibrant, pleasant, productive part of our fruitful family. Again, if you look here at the next psalm and to look at those blessings that he mentions to us here, verse two, he says, and this is to the person who fears the Lord again, but he says, when you eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. 
and it will be well with you. I think the fruit of your hands, it could be a number of things, the fruit of your labors, but the fruit of your hands in this context to me anyway is our children as parents. Your wife, verse 3, shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. I know some of this imagery is kind of lost on us today. Children like olive plants, a wife like a fruitful vine. What does that mean? I think he's just giving us this very beautiful and pleasant and productive picture here that we're going to have a family who is fruitful for the Lord. Notice verses 5 and 6, he goes on to say there, May the Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. So you can receive the blessing of God that God's family, God's people, the fruit, the prosperity of Jerusalem will prosper. But then verse 6, Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. That if we bring our children up in God's way, I know they, they reach a point where they have their own free choice that they can decide to go whatever way they want to. But generally speaking, if we do that, we are hoping that they will become these fruitful, productive people to the point that if we live long enough that they will give us grandchildren who will follow in the ways of God as well. Children are a gift. The psalmist says here, heritage, a blessing of the Lord. But secondly, the psalmist says that children are like arrows in a warrior's hand. What, what does that mean? Uh, I'm sure we have some hunters in here. I don't know if anybody does bow hunting or not. Maybe we do. But when I, when I think of an arrow, and I'm, I'm not a bow hunter at all, but when I think of an arrow, I think of this sharp object that you put on this bow and, and you put it on there intending for it to leave the bow, intending for it to to fly straight, intending for it to hit whatever target that you're aiming at, right? And so it is. I think the psalmist is saying here with our children that we need to remember that they are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Although sometimes there may be times when we have our children at home that, that we could wish that we could just keep them little forever, that they would never grow up, that we could just keep them in this sweet, innocent stage. That we know that's not how life works. That it is God's way for us to equip our children while they are young so that when they get older that they can be like that arrow on that bow that they can shoot out into the world. They can launch out into the world. They can walk the narrow way that is pleasing to God. They, hopefully we have done a good enough job and they're of the mindset that they will hit their spiritual target. That they will be faithful to the Lord all the rest of their days. But that's not going to happen by accident, is it? We can't just have that desire or dream in our mind when they are born and then wake up 20 years later and hope that everything works out. For that to occur, we as parents must be people who are continually talking to and teaching and training our children in God's word. For the sake of time, we're not going to look at all of these passages, but I want you to look at the one here in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 4, what I have here on the screen from Deuteronomy chapter 11 is basically what is recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. That we as parents have to love the Lord our God first of all with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to put God's word into our mind. It has to shape and mold and guide our lives. 
and then we teach it to our children. Then we talk about God to our children. Then we train our children in the way of God. But I want you to notice something that is said to us here in Proverbs 4, uh, the first six verses. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast these words, my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not get, forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, talking about wisdom. And she will guard you, love her, and she will watch over you. If this is Solomon writing this part of the book of Proverbs, he is saying that it was David, his own father, who took the time, and we think of maybe toward the end of his life, especially there in, I think it's 1 Kings 2, where David knew that he was dying. And he gave some final instructions to his son Solomon. He says, this is the man I want you to be. And so Solomon was turning around and passing on that wisdom that he had received to his own children. But he was telling his children, you need to walk in the way of God. You need to grab a hold of God's wisdom and you need to remember what I have taught you. And you need to live that out in your life. We, of course, remember the instruction that is given specifically to those of us who are fathers in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, that we as fathers are not to provoke our children to anger, but we are to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Thirdly, coming back to Psalm 127, the psalmist says to us here that the parent whose quiver is full of children, again, is blessed or we are happy. And that kind of flies in in the face of, I think, the current wisdom, if you will, of our world, of our culture, that, you know, children are kind of a, uh, a hindrance to us finding our own fulfillment in life and reaching our own potential and and carrying out our own dreams, that they're kind of a barrier to that. But here, God's wisdom is, no, the parent whose quiver is full of children, they are truly blessed by God. I think maybe generations that have gone before us understood this truth or this principle a lot better than we do today. Because in generations gone by, when most people kind of lived in an agricultural society, having more children in your family meant that there were more workers. There were more workers around the house. There were more workers on the farm. There were more workers in the field, which meant if you had children to help you in that particular work, that there would be more income for the family. There there would be a lot more stability, that there would be more protection for the family, some things that we've already talked about. But with our modern urban lifestyle, I think we have mostly lost that sense of need. However, when God fills our family with children, we are still richly blessed. We may as parents sometimes look at our children as just being a burden that rather than bringing in income that they are taking out (laughs) from what we are bringing in. But the psalmist says to us here that a quiver full of sharp arrows, as we just talked about, results in protection for parents. How so? Well, especially as parents age, children oftentimes are left to care for them. They are left to provide, to protect, to support their parents against, quote, their enemies of old age. It could be health problems. It could be that their mom or dad loses their spouse to death. 
It could be that their parents get to the stage in life when they're older, when because of health issues, they're not able to do what they once were able to do. They're not able to enjoy life on their own like they would like to. They may become lonely. They may become discouraged. They may become depressed. And that is a time for those of us who are children of those parents to step in and show that we truly do love them, that we care for them, that we can protect them in some sense to some degree in those dark days. And so parents, wherever our children are on the spectrum of age, whether they're very young or they have grown up and left our homes, if we bring our children up in the Lord as this psalm is encouraging us to do, they hopefully will continue in the Lord after we have left home. And if that is the case, they will honor us in our old age by protecting us and providing for our needs. That is the instruction I believe that Paul is giving to those who are children and grandchildren to families of those who might be widows that it is our obligation to care for them to provide whatever need they might have because they have devoted their life to caring for us. Many of us in this audience have been blessed with children and if that is the case for you how do you view your children? Do you view them as a psalmist, as God views them here, as being a blessing to our lives? Or do you just simply view them as another burden that you have to carry for X number of years? Well, whatever your view of family was before we began our lesson this morning, I hope that this psalm of family, Psalm 127, has either changed your view or maybe it has enriched your view so that your view and my view matches God's view of the blessing that family is to us. My prayer for all of us today and this week and however long we have to live here upon earth is that God would bless our families so that our families truly become who God wants them to be. What about you this morning? Are you in the greatest family of all? That's the family of God. You know, God uses this kind of terminology and gives us these kind of pictures for a reason. (laughs) Because we are truly, if we are children of His, we are family to one another, but we're also family to Him. And God is the perfect parent, and He will not lead us in the wrong way. He is the perfect Father. So if you're not in the family of God this morning, you're on the outside, but you can be a part of His family if you're willing to come and confess your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, this morning. And to repent of your sins, you can be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can leave as a child of God, knowing that you not only have him as your heavenly father, but you have all of these wonderful people in this audience and all throughout the world that are the family of God to help you walk through life. If you need to make your life right with him this morning, As we're about to sing this song of encouragement and invitation, who will follow Jesus? Would you follow him this morning by joining the family of God? Won't you respond to the invitation if you need to as we stand and as we sing?